your presence this evening with us. We trust you for to bless us. Father, we trust you to bless us tonight. We, we surrender to your spirit. We ask, Lord, that your spirit will bring um, the blessing to us, to every heart tonight in the name of Jesus. Let it be a release of wisdom, but a release of understanding. I pray in Jesus' name. I pray, Lord, I receive help from you tonight. Feel me as your vessel and use my tongue to write your word and your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Just say to someone, I'm happy to see you again. I'm not tired of seeing you every day. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Um, let's open our Bibles to, to John chapter... Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. John chapter 4. Praise God. Amen. So John chapter 4, this was the encounter that Jesus had with the woman at the well, right? Praise God. I don't want to read the whole thing, so let's just read um, verse 7. It says that they cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus said unto her, give me drink, amen, for his disciples were gone away into the city to, to buy me, right? And the woman, then said the woman of Samaria unto him, how is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? And the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans, Samaritans. And Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knowest the gift of God, and who it is that said unto thee, Give me to drink, then thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. Amen. And the woman said unto him, Sir, as... Thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep from. Amen. And the well is deep from whence, whence then hast thou that living water? And art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank thereof himself, and his children, and his cattle? 
And Jesus answered and said unto her, that whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall, shall be in him a well of water that is springing up into what? Into everlasting life. Praise the Lord. Amen. Verse 34. Verse from verse 31. It says, In the meantime, while his disciples prayed him, while his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. But he said unto them, I, I have meat to eat, which that ye know not of. And therefore said his disciples one to another, Hath any man brought him aught to eat? And Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Praise the Lord. So my, my will, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to, to do what? To finish his work. Now, um, Jesus here was telling the woman, you go back to what he said before, um, that he has, that if she had known the gift of God, that she would have said to him, of course, we know that the gift of God is eternal life, right? The Bible says that in the book of Romans, that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is what? Eternal life. So that if she had known that gift, then she would have asked of him, and he would have he would have given thee. She would have asked he, he, that would have asked of him. Amen. So if you know who it is, if you know the gift of God, praise the Lord. That, so there are two things that he said. If she had known, first of all, if she had known God's gift, which is eternal life. And she had known who it was that was speaking to her. So Jesus separated at this point those two things. Eternal life and everlasting life was, was separating them. That there is God's gift, but there is someone who is standing before you right now. He has something to do with the gift, but he, what he gives, praise God. Um, amen. Jesus is not explaining, but you can tell from his inference, bringing in the idea of the gift, you know that there's something about the gift of God and him that is standing beside her or in front of her. Amen. So, so if she had known the gift of God and then him who is standing, of course, he is actually a provision of God to bring people eventually into that gift, which is eternal life. Praise the Lord. But he standing in the flesh was not, he standing in the flesh, the program of which he fulfilled in his flesh was the program of everlasting life. So when he said there is the gift of God, which was not 
present with her. Because at this time, this wasn't, Jesus had begun his course of the work of his father, but, but he has not yet finished the work, right? Because of later, when the disciples were telling him to eat, he said it in verse 34, praise the Lord, that he said, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and then to finish his work. So he has not yet finished it because, and that was not a general statement because in the verse before, he said that me, I have, uh, was it before, verse 32, two verses before, he was saying that I have meat to eat that you know not of. And then he now said that, that my own meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. So, so Jesus had not finished that work at this point. Even of course, if he hadn't finished that point, then it means that he hasn't gotten yet to where? To eternal life. Praise the Lord. But he was doing the works of everlasting life. And he had gotten to the point where he actually had the waters of that life. Now, Amen. So the waters of everlasting life uh, is something that, say waters. waters. We know what, what waters actually mean. Water is, the purpose of water is for washing. That's one of the, the main, the, the first purposes of water is to bring about some kind of washing. So this means that there is some kind of washing for of the life that Jesus had. Of course, this was not the water of John. This was not any of those waters. But this was another water which Jesus was carrying with him. It's, it's possible that even his disciples were with him. They have no clue that this man is carrying another water on the inside of him because he said that concerning this meat that I have, um, this cause of, that is before me, you actually have no, you don't know concerning it. Praise the Lord. So Jesus was actually walking in the midst of people who were ignorant concerning his present dealings, his present work at that particular time. Amen. Amen. So Jesus had gotten to a point where he, he carried, he was willing to give this woman the, the waters, the waters of everlasting life. Are you getting the water? Now, what was the meaning of this? Why was Jesus saying this? to the woman, that I'm willing to give you the waters of everlasting life. One of the things we've learned about water is that water is actually preparation. Like when you just take water by itself, that was part of what we learned. We took some time to learn that, right? That water is actually, that, for example, being born of the water and of the spirit is the preparation for entrance. Except a man be born of the water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom. Amen. So the water of the kingdom is the preparation for what? For the kingdom. So, so Jesus was, came here and Jesus was carrying a walk, a life. Like I said, by this time, Jesus was already a professional of this life. Amen. And so he brought this water and he was carrying the water inside of him. Now, we all know, we all know, we can just jump ahead and know that what Jesus had to offer was more than water. Jesus was actually 
an offerer of blood. That when his offering to man has been fulfilled, it's actually the offering. It was, it was actually um, symbolized when they put him on the cross and the pierced his side. That two things came out, both water and then what? And the blood. And, and it was explained in the book of 1 John chapter 5 concerning the son. Right, let's see that first John 5. And we'll come back here. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. How many of us have settled down into this, this school? Some of us are not, haven't settled down yet. You know, sometimes when you're going to a new class, you need time to settle down to buy your textbooks and Amen. Well, you know, some, some stubborn students will never buy that textbook. They believe they can do without it. Praise God. <laughs> First John chapter 5, it says that, verse 1, it says, that whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and, and everyone that loveth him that be God, loveth him also that is begotten of him. And we... By this we know that we love the children of God, that when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? And, and then this is he that came by water. That is this person called Son of God. So this, this man, this Yeshua, this Jesus, who has become the Son of God. Amen. Amen. That this man who has become the Son of God is he that came by water and, and burned blood. So when you speak about Jesus' sonship of God, it is two-dimensional. It is the water. They are, those are the two things that actually, they are the things that flow from him, but they are also the things that constitute him. You know here, they are not speaking about his ministry. They are speaking about how he came. Right? It's by, so the same thing, when you say he came by water, you know, Jesus was saying that this is what got the Pharisees angry, right? His language of his skepticism in the world came, came, I came, I come, I came from heaven. He was telling them that I came from heaven, I came, I'm, I am, amen, I am a man that came from heaven. And they said, is this not the son of Joseph? <laughs> That's the carpenter. That was where Jesus, Jesus really got them angry, praise the Lord. Are you seeing that? So, well, they, didn't, they didn't understand the meaning of the word. They couldn't understand what Jesus Christ was saying. That was in John. Can we read that place? Father, we thank you. If in John chapter 6, there's a reference there. In John chapter 6. Well, we can, we can just, Jesus said it many times, but let's pick a few of them. In, in verse 4, you see, he said, I am come in my Father's name. Sorry, that was f- verse 5. In chapter 5, sorry. 
He said, I am coming in my father's name, right? And you receive me not. If another shall come in his own name, you will what? Receive him. Praise God. Then in chapter 6, um, that was where he began to see I came down from heaven. He referred to himself as the bread of life. Let's read that place in, in John chapter 6. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Amen. In verse, in verse, let's read verse 33. It says, for the bread of God, for the bread of God, that's John 6, 33, right? It says, for the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and then giveth life unto the world. And they said unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. And he that cometh to me shall never hunger. And he that believeth on me shall never do what? You shall never hunger. And then you shall never what? Thirst. You shall never hunger. And you shall never thirst. Praise the Lord. Now when it comes to the, the quenching of thirst, you know, quenching of thirst, summary, the summary of quenching, the program of quenching thirst in the New Testament is in two things. There is the giving of water. And then there is the giving of blood. They are the two things that must quench the thirst of a man. Now, if a man drinks only what the water that Jesus gives, he will not quench his thirst fully. There is another thirst inside of man for what is in that only the blood of Jesus can quench in a man. Praise the Lord. And so he says that he will never hunger means he will eat and then he will drink. Praise God. And But I said unto him that you have not seen me and believe not and all that the Father giveth me shall come to me and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. Verse 38, for I came down from heaven not to do my own will but the will of him that did what? Sent me. So, this is the same thing that he was saying in chapter 4 to the woman. That he came down from heaven to do the will. Praise God. Verse 41 then says, And the Jews then murmured at him. Amen. Praise the Lord. I am, when he said, I am the bread of what? I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he said, I came down from heaven? Praise God. And then Jesus therefore answered and said to him, Moment not among yourselves. No man can come to me except the father which hath sent me draw him. And I will raise him up at where? At the last day. Praise the Lord. That raising up at the last days is a powerful statement. The, the raising up, I will raise him up at the what? At the last day. Amen. Now, verse 40. Verse 40. It says, and this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and then believeth on him Right, which is exactly what First John chapter five was saying that 
everyone which he first he must see the son. This is not seeing Jesus. I mean, he was in front of them. Why would he be teaching? That you know how people like to summarize the gospel and don't go too deep. Now, why was Jesus in front of them and saying, "Anyone who sees the son"? It means that he they were seeing Jesus of Nazareth, but there's something called the son that they were not seeing. Are you getting me? That Jesus, Jesus, that Jesus that they were seeing, his physical presence, his physical flesh that they were seeing, his physical man who they were seeing was actually a veil of of his inward person, which was actually the son. Now, that inward person called the son wasn't always there. That's what John is now revealing in 1 John chapter 5, that that being called the son that is inside of him, he came at some point. Praise the Lord. So, and he said, this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son, everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and then I will raise him up in the last day. This is a powerful verse. It's a powerful verse. It's a very wonderful verse. You know why? Because Jesus is, a, is now explaining what the will is here. So, this will is the same will that he said that I have to finish in chapter 4. He said that my meat is actually to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work, to do the will. So it means that the will of him that sent him is actually for, is for the will of him that sent me, the will of him that sent me. So after doing this, then then is his purpose for sending me complete. So it means that anybody who hasn't achieved this, what he calls the will here, even though you achieve certain things about from him, but you haven't achieved this one, then you haven't come into the real reason why Jesus was sent. That, so this is, this is what this means. This means that even if somebody becomes Christ, you have not yet fulfilled the reason why God sent this man called Jesus. That there is more to him. Are you getting? So, the, the aspect of him that Jesus tied to the finishing of the will wasn't his crystals. It was his sonship which he has with God as being the word, the son of God. Praise the Lord. Does this make sense? Amen. So it's very clear. There are some things you can just pick from me that the sun is not clear. It's not obvious. Right? Because if it's not, it's not obvious because he said everyone that seeth him and then believeth on him. So the, the believing on him is more than I believe that, that there's somebody like that exists. Like this believing here and also the same believing they are referring to in First John 5 is not the same kind of believing. Praise God. The, it's not the same kind of believing that you just believe that something is or believe in something. 
this believing is actually the belief. It is a, it's an exercise of faith in a work. It's an exercise of faith in a work. A work that God did. What is that work? The work is in the is the work of the of the giving birth of God. Is the work of the giving birth of God. You believe that? Do you see that? Amen. Now, the saving the save, say saving faith. Saving faith. Saving faith as a characteristic. Saving faith is this. Saving faith is a faith of the belief is a is actually a process of belief, of fulfillment of belief in a birth. The same thing with being born again. When you got born again, to get born again, in according to Romans chapter ten, you must believe that in your heart that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. That was Jesus being raised from the dead was the, the birth of the new man. Do you agree with that? Yes, that was actually the birth of, of the new man. Amen. So that gets the spirit born again. That's a kind of believing. But this other kind of believing is a different kind of believing. It's the belief, the belief in the birth of the Son of God. Does that make sense? The belief in the birth of the Son of God. How did God give birth to his son. It's a, it's a process of that God executed, praise the Lord, to give birth. So that thing is what a person must believe. Okay, hold on to this place. Let's read 1 John 5 from verse 1. Shamahara Boshketeno. Thank you, Jesus. First John 5 verse 1, what does it say? It said that whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. So, whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christos, is the anointed one. Are you getting me? So, now, first of all, the, the first son of God is Christ. When I say first, I don't mean the eldest son, I mean the first son that emerged, Right? The first son that emerged, because the first son that God testified to, that was the first entity, the first work, the first thing that appeared, that God then spoke, okay, this one is my son, was Christ at Jordan. That was the first time that God ever spoke and said, anybody is my son. So we know that. So you can't take that away from Christ. You can't take sonship away from Christ. Christ is the first stature of sonship. Do you see that? Christ is the first what? Christ is the first stature of, of sonship. The first stature of sonship is Christ. So that was the first son that God gave birth to. Praise the Lord. So, so everyone that then believed in that birth process which is how God produces, gives birth to a Christ, that person also then becomes a son. He becomes also born of God. means that that person also then becomes a Christ. Are you getting me? Then, then the, the proof that a Christ has been born is that 
the Christ becomes a lover of Christ. That is the proof of the proof that you have of that you are born at the proof that you are a son at a level is that you love at that level. Because no man hated what he is. It's not possible. That's a test that you are something. That if they come and check, you are hating it somewhere. Ah, you are not really that thing. You are not really that thing. You are not really that thing. You are not that thing. You are a liar. If you say you are something and they can check you and they find that secretly somewhere you hate that thing. That's why God doesn't need to, God doesn't need to bring the X-ray machine of heaven and then throw you inside and then check you. Are you a Christ? He said, no, we don't need to do all of that. We just give you a commandment. Love your brethren. That's all. Simple. Very, very simple. That just, they will just be checking you. Okay, how is, is he loving? Are they loving the brethren? If he's not loving, then there's no way, there's no mistake that you are somehow a Christ. They know it's not possible. So that love of the brethren, amen, is the... Now you might say, ah, but my brethren are not Christ. They are, they are monsters. <laughs> what do you mean? Why are you... Praise God. <laughs> you know, that's what some of us are thinking. <laughs> that, that if my brethren were Christ, it would have been easy to love them. <laughs> but these guys are monsters. So why? <laughs> what kind of <laughs> standard is this? Well, let me tell you, it's easier to love a monster than to love Christ. So, if your brethren are the ones you feel are your brethren, you feel they are monsters, then it should be easy for you to love. <laughs> they should be very easy for you to love. Do you know why? Because when they are bad, when you say they are, when I say monsters, what I mean is that you you feel they are carnal, they are very worldly, they are just carnal people. You, in your mind, you feel it's easy to love Christ. And to love a carnal brethren. Can, you know, carnality. Just, just, sometimes you feel this carnality is just disturbing me every time. Uh, uh, your carnality is too much. Can you try and be spiritual all day so we can live in peace in this house? <laughs> Praise the Lord. Well, you now realize that the reason why his carnality is disturbing you is that his carnality. It's disturbing the carnality in you. <laughs> Are you not yet carnal? <laughs> Where does strife and all that come from among you? <laughs> Are you not carnal and walk as men? <laughs> so if someone's carnality is disturbing you, it means you are carnal. It's very simple. Carnality disturbs carnality. Praise God. Amen. Amen. Because when you say your brother is disturbing their account, what? It's because there's something that there's something that they are they can see, or there's something they are alive to, that you are also alive to. It's in that realm of what you are both alive to. That's where you clash and you fight. You get. Mm-hmm. 
when you become, let's say you become born of God as a Christ, it will be impossible for a worldly person to disturb you. They can't disturb you. It's more like, it's more like you will be pitying for them. You will be, ah, why is this person so carnal? No, it's not that they are, they are getting you angry. It's not that, it's just that you have compassion. Kai, why is this? You'll just be feeling sad for them every day and you'll be praying for them. You have more compassion for them. You know what I mean? But if it's not compassion you're having, you're having anger, resentment, wars, strife, then it means that somewhere you guys are, you're in the same level, in the same ring. Praise the Lord. So a person who has been born of Christ, right, when a person is born of Christ, you bring a carnal person around them, they will find it easy to love a carnal person. It will be so easy. Because what a carnal person wants from them is that maybe your, your property, your things. What does a carnal man want from you? He doesn't pass all those things. It's your, that they want, they will take, borrow your shirt, they will wear it without telling you. Or they will say something about you, about your name. They will gossip about you. I guess. <laughs> They gossip about you. They tarnish your name. They misrepresent your image. They tarnish your rep. They, what else do they do? They eat your food. Without, and, they won't, and they won't say thank you. They will eat your food. They won't say thank you. Praise God. And then after eating the food, they will check in. Are you getting angry? Because they believe you are spiritual, you're not supposed to get, you're not supposed to get angry. So I just, I just know all the things that can happen. people. What else? Okay, tell me what else can a can a person do to you? That's all, right? So, so, so a can a person. So if all those things are too difficult for you, you can't, you can't pour. You don't have enough love in you that can just put those things aside, those things. I can make those things become nothing. Then it means you are like him. You are in the same boat. Are you getting me? But, but, but when you see, but you see a person who has grown above being, being shaken by that kind of carnality, right? Then you bring a Christ to them to live with them. It's a different thing altogether. You now discover that a different, there's a different kind of anger. There's an anger that someone is carnal and they're disturbing you on a carnal level. That's one level of anger. That one proves that you're still carnal. There's another anger when you have, when you have begun to grow a little bit that can, you can begin to have. Why? It's by standard. That's a different kind of anger. The anger of somebody raising the standard in your environment. That anger, where that one comes from, is a deep hidden place. Most likely you didn't know it was there. You didn't know it was there. He was happy. Why, oh, Christ is coming to live with me. We're going to enjoy this thing. We're going to enjoy. Oh my God, I'm waiting for you. We're going to have. Ah! We're going to resurrect Zion. We're going to create. Zion in this house. This will be a mountain of the Lord. 
until you begin to see the standard of the Christ. What makes you angry is, is, the, is the standard. They are not disturbing you. No, because Christ doesn't disturb you. He won't come and take your show and everything. It's just that he will just be living. The Christ, but every, every life, he's, everything, every step he's taking is registering in you that you have to follow that step. You have to measure it. And that thing can be ringing with anger on the depths of you. Because now you can't hide. You know, that's the problem with living with the Christ. Or, when the, or every time Christ is being made manifest, is that you already know enough that you can't act as if this thing is not happening. That if, they are, as they are living in their, in their own way, they are not disturbing you. And you, you are not meeting that standard. You will be ashamed every time you see them. And if care is not taking you, manufacture things to accuse them of. And that one is a, that one is a greater kind of, <laughs> it's a greater kind of trouble. Let me put it that way. Are you, do you understand what I mean? So that's what it means for that loving, when they loving the brethren. It's a high commandment. It's a high. That is the kind of, to me, I feel like by this time, that's the kind of fight we ought to be fighting among ourselves. By this time, there's things that we should not be hearing. You know, some things. Say, ah, this person is angry with that person. Then we ask why. And when they tell you why, you feel like shedding tears. You feel like crying. Praise God. We need to grow out of some things, though. There's some things that if you hold on to, they are. When you hold on, don't hold on to hell's thing. What the hell is keeping? Like hell, devil's property. You'll be living with it. Inside you, you are carrying it around. We should be. That's one of the main purpose of this world is to wash us. Wash you. Wash you clean. One of the first things you get washed clean for are corruptible things. Anything that's corruptible should not be a possession. When they come close to you, they shouldn't find your attachment to corruptible things in the inside of you. Praise the Lord. Amen. Are we, are we hearing the word? We've been blessed. Praise the Lord. So, he that believeth, are you seeing that? Let's read that first John. First John 5. <clears throat> that whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. I mean, that person also is a Christ. And then everyone that loveth him that begat, loveth him also that is begotten. This is the same principle. Right? He that loveth him that begat will love also him that is what? Begotten. And it says, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. So you see, verse 1 and verse 2 are not the same. Verse 1 is talking about the first birth and the first community of love in the kingdom. The first love community in the kingdom, which is, is, which, which is in the realm of Christ's who are loving one another. They share a particular law by virtue of being born of the same, out of the same thing. Praise God. 
And then after that, you now begin to see what they call the children of God. So these children of God here is higher than just Christ. Right? These are children of God. When we love God and then we keep his commandment. We know that we love the children of God and we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not grievous. Are you seeing that? Are you seeing this is the standard I just told you about? Right? In that in love. Like what the way you know you are falling short is when the commandment grieves you. That's what I was explaining when I said someone who is a Christ can be measuring out a level. What they are doing are commandments. Because they are hearing, they are doing it. It's a commandment they give them. They are doing. But when you see it, it can be grievous. It can grieve you if you haven't developed the stature to obey at that level. But when you, when you come to a point where the commandments are not grievous anymore, eh, eh, then you know that you have that love. So there is this thing called the love of God is also attached to the commandments of God. God. Now, this commandment are actually the commandments of everlasting life. Because that is also the realm of another brotherhood that is beyond the brotherhood that is in Christ. It's another realm of brotherhood, another realm of love. It's another realm of brotherhood, and it's another realm of what? It's another realm of love. Because for whatsoever is born of God, it doth what overcometh the world, and then this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our word. But he, who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that word, Jesus is the word, the Son of God. Amen. So this overcomer of the world. So when you see anybody that's overcome the world, because they just, they just showed you two grades of overcomers of the world. Right, yeah, there's a high, there's a, the first level, the first grade, then the second grade. They are both overcomers of the world, right? There's a first grade of overcomers of the world and a higher grade of overcomers of the world, right? So it means that anybody who is a son of God has overcome the world. In fact, that is the meaning of being a son of God. Amen. Amen. So the meaning of being a son means that any kind of son, whether it's a Christ or is a son of everlasting life, is that they have, that's the, the minimum standard of being a son of God is that you have done what? Overcome. So who are these sons? These are men of inheritance. Right? The, they are the men of inheritance. They've come into, the, there's the first inheritance and then there's the second inheritance. So anybody who's an inheritor in the spirit has overcome the world. Any soul that hasn't overcome the world doesn't have anything in the spirit. You don't have that. When you, if you show up, maybe let's say you leave your body and you go there, maybe to heaven or something, and when you come there to heaven, praise the Lord, and you've not overcome the world, you actually don't have anything. You are going to heaven empty. You don't have anything until you have overcome. So that is, that's one thing. At the barest minimum, at the most little, <laughs> the least overcome the world. Start from there. 
Right. It's, that's, where, that's where they begin from. Do you understand me? That was the first thing. Before they could say, the father could then come to Jesus. Okay, come and walk my walk. That was the first thing. Before God would publicly, because before that time, God would, God would not publicly come and declare that this one is my son. You know, at that time when God declared it, he hasn't done everything. He hasn't even started the real work yet. He hasn't started. But there's something that you must do that in our realm, you must have bought land here. Let me use that word. That you have, you have an inheritance. In other words, you have a land in the spirit that they cannot deny you. You have a place in the spirit. You have a land, an inheritance. Your soul has an inheritance in the spirit. Praise. Are you seeing the minimum? That's the minimum standard of inheritance. The point where it is from that point onward that you, that's where, the point where you, any, any stature less than the fullness of Christ, God will be ashamed of such a person. And then such a person will be ashamed when they see God. You will be ashamed when they see God. That, any soul that has the world in him, because the world is a stain, right? He spoke about not having true religion in the book of James, right? That is to, of course, you take care of the widows and all, but it's really to have your garment unspotted from the world. That means there must be nothing of the world in you. Be free from the world. Because, you see, this world is called, it's shame. That's what the world is. When you, you need to move into heavens, when, you, when they bring, open the realm of the spirit, and see angels there. From the minimum class of angels, they know that this world is a shameful thing. That when you see a world in his soul, it's shameful. Some of us, we don't feel like the worldliness is shame. We, even, we even boast of it. Amen. Some of us, our conversation is very, very bad. Very low. Very low conversation. Someone can just speak to his brother anyhow. And check, why is it? What will make you talk to someone like that? Check, it's one, one silly, stupid thing. Something that is something the world has, has dashed you as a possession. Then the one the world, the world gave you is a stinking smelling thing, and then you are holding it, and then your brother tampers with it. Then you can lash him, you can blast him, you can do anything to him, and all that. This, I used to know I was all this shameful, shameful thing. The thing is smelling, is stinking. Praise the Lord. So, so may, may we will be, we be ashamed of things that God is ashamed of. Yes. Praise the Lord. We will be what? Ashamed of things that God is ashamed of. It's like a Christian feeling better than another Christian because this one has a better job than the other one. Right? So you look down on the other person. Because you have a better job. So that thing that makes you look down on someone who has a, you feel has a lower job than you is, is what? It's the glory of that job you are wearing, which is a stinking thing in the spirit. Or maybe this, you have a master's. That one only didn't finish. He just managed to finish his, his, his secondary school. 
Are you, that's one example. Another example, maybe you can speak clean English. But they, when they talk, all right. But when they talk, you, uh, you have to be walking in love. Oh, these are, these are, I'm just describing dirty things, right? Things that, when the heaven see you doing that, they, they cringe. What is the meaning of, it means you have, means you are so low in your understanding. We like the glory. We know there's something we like. Some of us are not fully healed from all those things yet. They need to heal us because... You see this realm of everlasting life. There's some things that you can't bring there if you <laughs> if you have something. Sorry. Like that thing between the Jews, don't talk to the Samaritans. And those are both dead people, all of them. They are all dead together. You know what I mean? <laughs> that was the situation Jesus went into, right? So Jesus had been chatting with this lady. Then the disciples came with their, all their body odor in the spirit. <laughs> And began to wonder why Jesus was talking with her. Why? Because of their, their elevation. Right? They know that that thing is nothing to God. All they had were, is, is their righteousness, which the Bible calls filthy rags. They are the filthy rags which they had before God. But thank God for Jesus, an everlasting man, who was able to, who was higher than such a thing. He could relate with the woman. He could have conversation about his water with a woman because he wasn't seeing that thing. Jesus was high. Jesus will, will st- go with the, see the publicans. Those are no ordinary things. They were no ordinary things. Any kind of person, Jesus can relate with them. He can eat with them. He can drink with them. Those, were, those are actually everlasting. It's an everlasting power. An everlasting property which Jesus had. That thing, praise the Lord. You see, being moving, being free from the glories of this world. Are you that, that's, the, that's the test. That was the test he passed. Are you can can you remember <laughs> when they took him to the wilderness? Right? That was the culmination of his test. They had to show him the kingdom of the world and then show him their glories. It means all their, you know, everything. In other words, this is, who, this is your status. Just worship me, this status you will have. So that thing proved that Jesus had nothing in, of this world in his soul anymore. Nothing of this world anymore. When it comes to classes, you know, levels of all of those worldly glories, he could not see it. That's the, that's the test, that's the standard of a Christ. Right, that's actually the standard of a Christ. Paul had the same thing. Paul would say, I became all things to all men that I might win some. Whether to the Jew, the Greek, it didn't, it didn't matter. Why? Because that was the nature of the Christ spirit. Then later in the book of Philippians, he was explaining how he had to count those things dung. Dung means feces. It was by wisdom of the spirit. It means that what made him leave them was it was the, the, the Lord raised the revelation of what those things are to him. 
he saw it. Wow, these things are, ah, I don't need these things. It wasn't like uh, the way that place wrote it. It wasn't that, ah, these things are so nice. So, well, let me just sacrifice them. Let me sacrifice them. Jesus, just to follow you. I'm giving up this nice thing. You know, some of us, we feel that way. There are some, some of us, when, some of us are still angry for some of our worldly friends, friends that we left. Sometimes we even, we even believe secretly in our heart that they are even better than all these brethren, all these people. All these brethren. This, this, this brethren thing I, I found myself in. <laughs> Is that, so what, these are the way we feel inside yes. our heart. When you look at your brother, we look like you look at our, your brethren like nothing. Yes. Just, just because these brethren, people, you feel like you've given one sacrifice. Ah, if you know who I used to roll with, <laughs> my clique, you feel like your level has dropped. <laughs> but God just brought you out of the gutter. Eh? He just, He just took you out of. God brought you. <laughs> so, so Paul, Paul grew until he. When you are when you grow, when you are growing, some things that look that are glorious to men will just be so detestable to your soul. Detestable to your soul, you will detest them. There's some things that you must really, really detest. You must really hate some things because they are filthy. Some attitudes are filthy. And we must put them off. Amen. So if you're, if you're here, you're going to maybe school or something because of glory, change your, very quickly, check your motive and change it. Very, very quickly. Or if you have a job and you're working there and somewhere you are touching the glory of that thing. Go and pray. God, please, 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 please. Let me hate this. I want to hate the glory. Because if you don't hate it, if you, if you still love it, if you are still enjoying the glory, you are basking in the glory of that thing, that thing will end up doing what? Using, because glory is a channel. We've, we've learned about glory. Is the, is the power, is the means through which attraction. It's like a magnet. By the time you wear a glory that the devil has designed, praise the Lord, by the time he presses the on button for that thing, it doesn't matter what heaven is saying. There's nothing you can do about it. If you're wearing the glory of your, your job or your profession, that thing is it's just a matter of, at some point, when the profession calls you, you have to come. You'll just be going. There's nothing you can do. You can't, you can't be enjoying the glory all these years. And then the professionals say, okay, it's time to change gear now. We, are, we need something else from you. In other words, it begins to demand your soul. Something. There's a, there's a part of your soul that you were keeping, you were trying to keep, and you felt that you can wear this worldly glory and be keeping your soul in that way. It's watching you. It wants to let you be enjoying the glory. Just be enjoying it. Get used to it. Then when time it comes and say, okay, we have to bring that aspect of your soul. There's a, there's a level I need to demand from you. And that thing can be anything. 
it can be, you need to, the next level now is to move into a place where you must compromise certain things to move further. And normally, normally that should be the end point of that thing. Say, God, it's time for something else. The Holy Ghost should lead you somewhere else. But because of you've been enjoying something about that job, that it's not just a job to you. It's been, there's been something you've been wearing about it. You have been so clothed by it that you can't even think about the, the nakedness, the, the feeling of, of being unclothed from that thing. And because of that, one day, what will happen? Praise God. You cannot be working for Satan. And then when it's payback time, say, no, I just work for free. I don't want, I don't want. (laughs) Satan will tell you, no, you already give us your direct deposit. (laughs) In fact, we have already transferred the payments a long time ago. Say wages. You can't walk for the devil and refuse the wages. I say, I'm just a volunteer. <laughs> no. Payday will come. And the wages of sin is debt. Say, so come and take your debt to you have worked for it. <laughs> when they are sharing, you may not be there when they are sharing debt. Well, all the compromises that many people have made in this world, this wicked society, payday is coming. And that day, people, if you, when you walk, you must be paid. You must receive your wages for every, every evil. Praise the Lord. How did we get here? Commandments, right? Praise the Lord. So that first John, first John chapter one was was showing you, it showed the minimum standard. Right, is that anybody who is a son must have overcome the world. It's not it's not negotiable. So if you you feel like you haven't overcome the world, you have to fight. You must hate worldliness in all shades, in all forms, in all versions, any way. If it smells worldly, hate it. Hate it. Hate it. Hate it. Hate the things the world celebrates. Hate what the world loves. Love not the world, not the things that are in the world, right? If any man loves the world, says the love of the Father. It's not in him. The love of the Father is not in him if any man loves the world. Praise God. So that first John 5, oh my God. Thank you, Jesus. So, so he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God, right? And then, so that's what Jesus was saying in John <coughs> chapter 6. So that work of believing, John chapter 6, verse 40. Praise God, it says that, and this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life. And I will raise him up where 
at the last day. Now, so this son, of course, this, this level of sonship is not just sonship of Christ now. He's talking about the other work which he's, he was currently doing, which at John chapter 4, he had already come into the water of it. Right. Because that sonship has two dimensions. Like, let's go back to First John 5. From verse, from verse uh, 5, again, it says, that who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. That, and this is he that came by water and blood, right? Two things. That what produces this, that actual Son of God is the word, he that came, he came by water and blood. So there is the water of the Son, and then there is the blood of the Son. Even Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by water and blood. Now, it is the spirit that beareth witness because what? The spirit is true. Verse 7, for there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. And there are three that bear witness in the earth. The spirit, the water, and the blood. And then these what? Three. And if we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater for this is the witness of God which he had testified of who? Of his son. This is the witness of God. If we receive witness of men, the witness of God is greater for this is the witness of God which he had testified, which God had testified of the son that he that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. And he that believeth not God had made him a liar because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. And then this is the record that God had given on to us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. And he that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God, what? Hath not life. And these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son. So them that believe on this name of the Son of God, they have eternal life. Praise the Lord. Are you seeing that now? When they are saying this record of the son or witness of the son, the witness which God is giving about his son is a full witness, right? Because that witness, God has actually testified concerning that witness. Praise God. God testified about the witness of this man being his son. Is a witness, witness that God gave at different points that culminated in a record. Do you see that? Now, witness, witness, God gave a different point, but culminated in a record. When you say record, record means, a record is not just one thing. A record is a compilation. The record, there's a record. There's a record of the, it's an, almost like an archive of the, the content. Are you seeing? But then, out of that record, the record now produces witnesses on the earth. There's witnessing to different dimensions of what you find in the record. So, 
So the record is what is settled in heaven. That thing which they call the eternal logos, which came to us. If you read it in verse 7, verse 7, it says that there are three that bear record. So in heaven, they call them record. And then verse 8, they now say there are three that bear witness. That bear witness. So witness. So there are three that bear witness. Okay, the, the three that bear record, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. Then three that bear witness, the Spirit, of course, the Spirit bear witness of the Holy Ghost. Of the, the Spirit bear witness on the earth of the record of the ghost in heaven. Do you agree? The Spirit bears witness on the earth of the record of the Holy Ghost in heaven. Same thing, the Father, amen, there are three that bear witness in the earth, sorry, the Spirit and the Father. So the Father doesn't bear witness on the earth. Praise God. So, but the Father has his record in the heaven now because the witness of the Father is in the Son. Do you see? But out of those three that have bear record in heaven, that, that record is talking about their, the way they, they, are, they landed in creation. How they landed. They stayed in heaven. You know when they landed, they stayed in heaven. When they say, where do we stay? They say, we will stay in heaven. So they came with the record which they brought into creation. They packed that record in heaven. Right? Then when it now comes to coming to the earth, the father never came. He has never come to the earth. He never came personally to be a witness on the earth. The father never did that. So out of the three, only two that then by their person, only two persons of the Trinity ever came to the earth, right? Which is out of the record. So the record of the Logos and then the Holy Ghost. Those are the two persons that came. So verse 8 is now telling you that, you see, out of those two, but when they came to the earth, they now became three because one split into two. Right? So the Spirit bears witness of the record of the Holy Ghost. Right. Praise the Lord. So when they say, why did they change it from Holy Ghost to Spirit? Why did they change it? When they came to the witness on the earth, they used the Holy Ghost first, what the record. It's just a play with words so that we can understand it. The Holy Ghost is using the word. When you say the Holy Ghost, of course it's the same thing. But when you use the word spirit, I, I believe it has to do with operational. Operational. Holy Ghost talks about the person more. The record of the person. Sorry, which is everything. So when you divide Holy Ghost, you now see that there are different dimensions of his witness, which he brings in different times and different seasons to diverse people and different kinds. So the Holy Ghost witness to a new-born-again believer today, it's not the same witness that he's giving to a person who is near the veil to enter into the Muslim. His witness is different to them. Even though both, both different, different, those different dimensions of, or levels of witnessing all come from the same record of that entity, which is in heaven, the Holy Spirit. Do you see that? Now... When it comes to the sun, the witness of the sun now is in 
two, and I said witness is operations. That witness, what is the meaning of witness? Tell me. Record, like we said what record means. It's something that is packed. It's just there. In fact, record is just there. They don't care. Is anybody reading it? Is someone not reading it? Record is just there. It doesn't need to be interacting with anybody. It can be there for 2,000 years. It's just a record. It's just there. Like the way they are in heaven. But when you say witness, it's not the same thing. Right? Witness, it doesn't mean something that is just packed somewhere. No. Witness means something that is coming to somebody. Like when they, in the court of law, they say, they ask the persecution, the persecution, where is, where is your witness? So this is the persecution's witness. They bring the persecution's witness. Now what if the persecution's witness comes there and just sits down and doesn't talk? Is he a witness? They ask him, what are you, okay, why did you come? Right? <laughs> Sorry, he will say what? I'm a record. <laughs> I'm not a witness. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> May your life not depend on such a fellow. <laughs> well, you know that happens. There's a provision for that. Well, when they plead the fifth, is it the fifth or in the US, right? That's the right they have in the constitution, or is it in the constitution? Yeah, the, the fifth amendment of the constitution. You have a right not to incriminate yourself or whatever it is. So, so you, I'm just being a record today. I'm not, I'm not witnessing anything. <laughs> Praise God. I reserve my right to be a record. Praise God. But, but you know what the idea of a witness is? A witness is the explainer of the record. The thing has already happened since. It's a record. That a record means this is something that happened. It's, it's a, it's, uh, it exists there. In a, a record is actually a truth. That's really what a record is, a truth. So these beings are actually truth residing in heaven. Praise the Lord. You know, you know heaven was framed to be the holder of truth. They, they, they actually built their, themselves into the, into the framework of heaven. The actual very environment of heaven where, and even the angels are there are beings that are reflecting their nature at different degrees. Praise the Lord. So, but when it comes to witness, so a witness is a record that is traveling. It's a record that is moving. They are taking it from where it is. They are bringing it to you. So, witness is the enlightenment, right, from a record. Like you have born witness of it. So, so I mean, that thing called Logos is locked up until streams of water and blood flows out of it. Yes. So the way you, that second person of the Trinity, who then, so is when, if you can turn Logos into water and blood, then it is now sun. So, son is logos that became water and blood. That's what they were saying in verse 6. That this is he that came by water and blood. Even Jesus Christ. Not by water only, but by water and blood. And then it's the spirit that beareth witness. Because the spirit is truth. Praise the Lord. Are you seeing this? 
Amen. 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 So are you seeing this water and blood? Water and blood. So, so you mean, so you mean that son has a has two dimensions to him. Now, now this water and blood you see here is they're not just mentioning them. They're actually an order. It is water before blood. Water before blood. You come into water before you come into blood. I mean, the water must pour its witness, must bear its witness before you can receive the witness of the blood. It's those two things that make up the sun. (laughs) Praise the Lord. I want to say something now. When Jesus... now met this woman, right? Jesus did not speak about the blood. Now ask me, why did he speak about the blood? I can't tell you. No, sorry. If you ask me exactly why, I can't tell you exactly why. I can tell you why in a way, but in a way I also can't tell you why because... I can't tell you that is it that he didn't have that blood. He didn't have. He hasn't come fully into the blood dimension of it yet. I don't know that. Maybe there's a light there that can tell it, but I don't know. But it's possible because he said that he still hasn't finished the work, right? And we know what that work is. The summary of what Jesus' work was was Jesus was when he was working, he wasn't working for himself. Right. He was actually working for the Father, but really he was working for you and for me. Right. So he was working, and you see why I was saying why I said he was working for you and I in a second. Now, now Jesus' work was to Jesus' work was to, be, to, to, to present out of it by himself, to present, to make of himself, or to become in himself a gift to the world, to man, right? That, so the work which Jesus was fulfilling was to become something, Right, is to become an object of man's belief. To explain further, his work, which is the Father gave him, is to become the thing that man should believe in 
to have everlasting life. That is John 3, 16. That for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That was, that was Jesus' work. So, the work... Amen. When that one came to Jesus and said, Good master, what... Uh, what... One, that one said that I may inherit eternal life. Then he told him things. But then that one came that what can I do that I walk the works of God? Imagine that question. I don't know where that question came from or why he was asking that question. <laughs> but maybe for the, you know, Holy Ghost was doing things for the purpose of Scripture, to push out Scripture from Jesus. Holy Ghost can tap somebody, hey, ask that now. There's something, there's a script. We need a script out of this moment right now. Then they will tap him and he will ask, and Jesus will answer. Then, then, then what will happen? It, will, it went, I don't know how the Holy Ghost kept all these things in those guys' mind for so long. And they wrote it so accurately, but it's by the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now, so he said, how, What am I doing? I may walk the works of God. And Jesus said, This is the work of God that you believe in. Believe in God and in Him whom He has sent. That He who is bringing the witness. Of him, that is the work of God. What chapter and verse is that? Not that's okay. Chapter six, verse what? Okay. Praise God. Verse twenty-eight. And they said unto him, What shall we do that we may walk the works of God? This is specific works, right? The the works of God. Praise God. And then he, Jesus answered and said unto him, this is the work of God. He corrected them first. That it's not works. They are not, it's just, this is, this, in summary, this is the work of God. Now when you've arrived at this work, now there are many works. I mean, there are works you will do to get to the work of God. But once you've arrived at that final work of God, God's work is actually one work. It's a task. Task for a soul. Believe on him who he has sent. It sounds like a very simple thing. <laughs> Believe on him who he has sent. So he who has sent is he who came, right? You have to, before you can believe on him, you have to now find, okay, how did he come? That's what John was explaining. Because the purpose of John explaining is how you can believe. That was... The beginning from verse 1 of 1 John 5. Talking about that you must believe, oh, praise God. So, so the work of Jesus, when he was doing the work. So Jesus' work was, it's very clear, his work was become something. But not for himself. Because he needs to become something. But become something so that you and I can become that thing. But what he should become is the same thing you and I have to become. So it's the same process. 
If it's the same process, then it is the same work that he did. So that's what verse 40, read that chapter 6. Father, we thank you. Chapter 6, verse 40 says that, and this is the will of him that sent me, right? That everyone which seeth the Son and then believeth on him may have everlasting life, and then I will raise him up at the last day. So, this one, he said, this is the work. That everyone that, this is the, oh, sorry, this is the will. This is the will of him that sent me. So, you can see how he interpreted the will of him that sent me, that every man would <coughs> believe on himself, right? But it is the same will. Because for them to believe on him, he must become what they would believe on. It's a bit convoluted. I pray, boy, but I'm sure by now we've journeyed enough around it for you to see the convolution about it. So to understand that when Jesus said that my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his will, is that meat is actually this process of becoming. So, so Jesus was in the process of coming by water and by blood. Jesus was actually in the middle of that process because he hasn't finished the meat because I need to finish it, right? So he was in actually in the process of coming by water by blood, or by blood. They asked him, okay, has he come by water and then maybe blood is left? How far in blood has he gone? I don't know. But, at, but one thing we know at that time, he already had the water. Right? So at that time, Jesus had the waters of everlasting life. He, and he calls it living water. Le, say living water. Living water. Living water is not washing of water by... The, it's not the being born of water and the spirit. That's not the same thing. This is what he call living water. Living water is, is the water, praise God, that when you receive it, it, can, it will be coming in you a well. It can become in you a well that will spring up into everlasting life. The water will become in you a well. Let's read that, John chapter 4. Jesus answered and said unto him, if thou knewest, unto her, sorry, that if thou knewest the gift of God and it, who it is that saith unto thee the gift of God and who it is that saith unto thee, give me to drink and thou wouldest have asked of him and he would have given thee what? Living water. So it means that he who Thank you, Jesus. 
Praise God. Just please forgive me. Give me. Amen. So Jesus said unto her that if thou knewest the gift of God and who it is that saith unto thee, Give me to drink, that thou wouldest have asked of him, and what? <coughs> he would have given thee. He would have given the living water. And the woman said unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? And are thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank thereof himself and his children? And his cattle. Praise God. Hallelujah. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. That's this one that you have. Will thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall do what? Never thirst. He shall never. He shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water. Then that will spring up. It will spring up. It will be a well of water that will spring up into everlasting life. It will spring up into everlasting life. I love this, the way Jesus put it here. You know, I said something before that wasn't, it wasn't totally accurate. You know what I said? That when you, you, if you have only the water of Jesus without the blood, that, be, that the water cannot quench your thirst. You know, there was a sense in which I said that because Jesus is saying that if you drink this, if you have this one, that you will never thirst again. But you have to really, really correct that thing. What Jesus is saying here is that now, when I give you this water now, okay, now this water, there is a thirst you have at this point. It will quench it. It will quench that thirst you have. But this thirst you have now will not be all the, the thirst that you will have. Or maybe thirst is not the word. It will not be all the... There will be a time when you will desire more than what I'm giving you now. But the way, this one, when I give you this one and you drink it, it's not going to stay just the way it is. First of all, it will be first in you aware. Amen. It will first be in you what? Aware. But afterward, it will then spring up it will spring up first into what? Everlasting life. It will spring up first. Then, Now, there's a difference between a well and a spring. A well can be a spring, but not every well is a spring. A well that hasn't sprung is not a spring. A well might not be springing up. 
a well can be in, diff in a different state. A well might have sprung before, but it stopped springing. A well can, a, a well might never have even sprung. You just dug it and poured water inside artificially. <laughs> An artificial well, which is not a living well. It's actually a dead well. So, it's very clear that living water is water that springs. Right? It means the water is alive. The water is doing something. Right? That if I give the water to you now, and we go away and leave it that way, when we come back, how we give it is not how we will meet it. Because the water is living. It's a living, it's a life. It's not a dead water. It's a living water. Praise God. Now you know that the, when you say springing, or first of all, this well, first of all, is the well of salvation. Right? It's, it's that well of salvation. So which you draw out with from with joy, right? So it means that <coughs> when Jesus' water is coming out, Jesus' water is a water that travels very, very far. Right, because if it will first be in you a well, if it's first in you a well, then later it becomes a spring. Right? What is a spring, sir? It comes out. It bubbles out, right? It means you don't, of his own accord, of his own accord. So it means the power of to get the water is not something you have to invest. Is that it comes to the surface. That's it. So a well can spring. When the well you see a well spring is when there's it's so open. It's where it's coming from. There's so much force pushing it from from the depths that it fills up, and then it's what begins to overflow. So the well, at that point, it becomes, it's no longer a well, it's now a spring. So a well can become a spring. But initially, it starts as, it's a well initially. So a well means it's, it goes deep. And with a well, you have to draw out of a well. When it's still a well, you will be drawing out of it to drink from that water. To drink, it means that they are different, so the difference between a well and a spring is your way of drinking. Your way of drinking is what differentiates a well from what? From a spring. From a, a well from a spring. 
praise God. So, it means that in a well, you need to apply strength to draw. Otherwise, you will what? You will thirst. Well, you must apply strength. You have to actually take the bucket or whatever, throw it in, and draw it out. You must be using strength. You must be applying some strength. But as the well is increasing, the amount of strength you need to get the water out begins to reduce. The amount of strength you need to get it out begins to reduce as it's increasing. It's increasing, it increases, it increases to the point where you no longer need strength. Say strength. Praise God. That the water has its own strength. Right? It's that what makes you draw is the strength of the water itself. The strength of the water itself, not your strength. The strength of the water, not your strength. Now, everlasting life is the realm where there has been an exchange of strength from your strength to the strength of God. In other words, Everlasting life, praise God, is a realm. Now, when the, the water is a well, it doesn't mean there is no strength, praise God. Because if it's an actual well, it's not artificial. An actual well it actually has water coming from the depth. So it doesn't mean that God is not involved. It is. One is decreasing. One is increasing. One is decreasing, one is increasing. One is decreasing, one is increasing. Now, amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. When a, a person comes to everlasting life, when you, you tip the scale, so they, they cause it, when you enter, it's to cause it by a new and living way that is consecrated for us through the veil, right? That passage, entrance into everlasting life, the point where a soul arrives at everlasting life, is the point where your strength, they can no longer detect your own strength anymore. Your strength can no longer be detected. That you have learned to move into a place of life that is constantly, fully being furnished by the strength that is what makes the life everlasting. Mm. 
Praise God. Hallelujah. That is what makes what? That's what makes the life everlasting. So it means that the water I will give to you will not be first. Won't be first everlasting because I'm coming to meet you at a particular place. There's a particular place. Each of us have a place where we are. We're talking about this entrance, but there's a place where you are. Now, at the place where you are, this water, when he begins to give you this water, it will come to you and meet you at that place where you are. And at that point where you are, from that point, as you are journeying, there will be an increase. There will be, there will be a, a switching of strength, of his strength increasing, your own strength decreasing. And that work should continue until you cross over. When you cross over is when your own strength has been what, swallowed up by what? The strength of God's, of God's own life. Amen. Am I, are, you, are you getting? No. So there's something called the, the, this everlasting strength. Mm-mm. Everlasting strength. Everlasting strength. It's a, it's a kind of a... Is a, is a strength. Is also You can also call it a power. Right. It's what they call the power of an endless life. That he was made a priest, not, not according to the law of the carnal commandment. Now, the power behind the carnal commandment, carnal means according to this natural, the carnal strength. Is an, say carnal. carnal. Carnal commandment. That, that commandment that is done by the strength, the carnal nature. Praise God. That word. The carnal there doesn't necessarily mean just carnality in the sense we know it. Carnal means it's of the body, right? If you look at that word, carnal, carnal, from the Greek, where they translated it from, it means something that is something that is of the body, that is tied to the body, that that strength has a tie to the body, that, that if you break the body, you affect that strength. It's a, it's a carnal, it's carnal commandment, and such commandment is what the law was hinged upon. Amen. Amen. I'm sorry that this message is going a deep way, but don't don't be discouraged at all. Don't be discouraged. This this is God teaching us. Amen. Amen. So now that that thing called the law of a carnal commandment, if you check what what is the strength of the law hinged upon? It's upon the strength of bodies. Right? The strength of bodies, the strength of men. So that and that that was that the bodies or the, the flesh of those priests. Now we now saw that that thing was then a limitation on the old covenant. When Hebrew, when Paul broke it down and I said, What is the limitation of those of those priests? That they could not continue by the reason of death. Say continue. continue. 
They couldn't continue by what? The reason of that. Now, when you say death, I want to say something. What is that death? What does that death mean? Do you think it's just because maybe they don't, live, they don't live long, so they can't serve long? After they live for a, long, for a while, they will then die. And is that all they're talking about? No, because that's a complex matter. Where, where, Paul is, where Paul was speaking from. Paul was speaking from a, from a very deep place. Because Paul had a language. Because it takes some level of understanding to travel between physical, physical entity and spiritual entity, and married truth in, from both realms, and balance them together. How, that it takes very high wisdom. It means you must understand a lot, like Paul, like Paul did. Praise the Lord. So Paul was tying those priests. He said that the reason why they couldn't continue was because of death. But I know that that death wasn't just because that they die at some point, and then another priest will come. That's not because if, because if it's just that, then it's continuing now. She, after Aaron died, his son will take over. The other one will take over. So, so why is it? Why is, that didn't stop anything. <laughs> For thousands of years, the temple was still there. So the death of a priest they didn't stop anything. The service was continuing. So that's not what he was saying. What he was saying was that that reason of death is talking about the limitation of death in the body. Because that death now is not just death alone in the soul, because that commandment, the, he also highlighted the dimension that the weakness of the commandment was that it was tied to the carnal, the bodies, to the physicality, the physical men, because what, the, what the, even the, the commandment was about the flesh, it sanctified, if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a high for April chapter 9, sanctified for the purifying of the flesh. So that commandment was, a, was actually a flesh matter. So the men who were driving it, even the priesthood was driven by the flesh of men. And if you dim, if the eye, when the eyes of the physical eyes of Eli began to go dim, it began to affect the work, the service in the tabernacle. That it means that that tabernacle depended a lot on his body, his physical man, for it to for things to go on. Are you seeing the link? And then that physical man, the life of the physical man, right? What puts limitation on the flesh is death. So death, not in the sense of the flesh dying or dropping on the last, at last point. Death in terms of the death that has traveled into the flesh, that even when he's alive, that is still causing limitation for him. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body of this death? That's Romans chapter 7. Oh, wretched man, who would do that body? If you're going to speak about the body, the body, what was trapped inside the body. That even though I delight in God after the inward man, I found another law in my members. What is the members? The members was the body, that there were things trapped inside this body. There are things trapped inside that body. So, so there's a way we, we can think that death to the soul is spiritual death. Then death to the body just means when you die. No, no. Someone can be alive and walking and talking and walking 
And there is death not just in the soul, but there is death in the body. There is something called spiritual death in the body. And that spiritual death, it, it brings, it manifests in limitations. And when death is operating in the body, what is the purpose of death's operation in the body? To hinder the, the flow of life. To hinder what? To hinder the flow. To hinder the flow of life. Praise God. So, death in the body hinders the flow of life. So, those priests, should we, do we need to read that place so, so that those of us who are not familiar with it can just, where the priest could not continue? As Hebrews, is it chapter 7? What verse is that? Okay. Verse 22, Hebrews 7, 22 says that by so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament, right? And they truly were many priests because they were not suffered to continue by what? By reason of death. But this man, because he continueth ever, had an unchangeable priesthood. Now this man, because he comes, it doesn't mean that he, of course, he didn't, wasn't living here forever. Praise the Lord. So the priests were not suffered to continue by reason of what? Of death. So it's not, listen to what they're saying here, it's not that, it's not that, it's not that they died so they couldn't finish it, it's that Actually, the reason why sometimes when they hit their limitation, God can even kill them. And then, okay, let your son take over. It's because, because of death, that's why they could not continue. That's why God did not, see the language, he suffered them not to continue. They were not suffered to continue. That was suffer means that God did not permit them that suffered is, it can be deceptive. That is King James language. When Jesus says, suffer it so to, to be so for now. When they went to baptize him, right? John refused. He said, okay, suffer it to be so for now. So we can fulfill our righteousness. That was suffer. He's not telling John to suffer. is allow. Allow it to be so for now. So it's the same thing that God suffered. So God did not allow them to continue because of death. The death that was at work in them. You can't leave a priest for too long, God discovered that he should, at some point, let him die, let someone else take over because of the limitation of in his flesh. Because that tabernacle was with their flesh. They were doing the service of, of the tabernacle. It was with their flesh. After a while, God, God made sure, God prophesied to Eli, you are going to die very soon. 
And by the time God, God even told him, this is the guy that will replace you. Go and raise him up. He was breeding the guy who will replace him because God has already decided, look, his eye had gone dim, right? And it was affecting things. <laughs> right? Because of his, his flesh. Amen. And what was making his eye dim is there were things inside him. I believe he started well. He must have started well. Am I correct? And after a while, his flesh hits the limitation. Programs of his flesh. You can answer that. The flesh program had to do with his family. Blood, physical blood. Are you getting me? It's a flesh thing. That thing with his house. He couldn't handle his sons. All of those things were weaknesses of his flesh. Then when, when Samuel prophet told him the prophecy of his own, he didn't argue. So whatever God told you, you know, my, he himself, he understood that. Look, it's not good that we are here for too long. Are, are you getting So that, that, that old covenant was driven by the, the, the body of man, the flesh of man. Amen. <laughs> Praise the Lord. So, so it was because of, of death that was why. So death walking in, in them, in the bodies of, of men. Praise God. Hallelujah. Now, so Jesus was raised, began to be raised a certain kind of person. There's something I mentioned, then I left a few days ago. That was just was developing in Nazareth, his soul was growing, but they were what was happening? His soul, his flesh, they were also making a better flesh. It wasn't just soul that was growing. They were also making what? They were making a better flesh. So Jesus' flesh. By virtue of soul, you know, soul can empower flesh. Yes. When the soul, oh my God. You see, he that, if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwelleth in you, that, that same spirit that raised up Christ from the dead shall then quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth. They, they were not talking at that particular verse, they were not talking about the quickening just of you your soul, or even your spirit man getting born again. They're talking about the traveling of that life that will enter into your mortal body and then quicken your mortal body. Am I correct? Yes. So, so Jesus sees Jesus
what Jesus did on the earth, Jesus pushed mortal body, flesh. He pushed flesh to the, the, the he pushed flesh to its destiny. The best thing that flesh can become. That's what he pushed flesh. But you see that flesh has a limitation. You know what I mean? Because do you agree with that? Because but, but, but before Jesus came, no man has pushed flesh that far. I mean, in terms, of, in terms of how much life a flesh can have. No man has pushed flesh to that extent before. No man has taken flesh to that extent before. I mean, their bodies. The amount of life they can discharge into their bodies. The amount of life from their soul they can pump into their bodies. Jesus pushed his body. The, 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 the point, the farthest point, the point where God designed the body to get to in terms of, the, of its living is the point that they mark as the veil in the temple. That place... Are you getting me? That is it. That is the place. So, why did God create body? When God created body of the dust of the ground and all of that? It's for something. It's to carry a life. Right. But since God has done that thing, all men have been, by the time you, you give them a, a baby flesh, that all the flesh has been getting is death. Death. And death. No, no man has ever driven flesh to that point before. That it will take this kind of flesh. When that point that where Jesus took his flesh to, right? That point that Jesus took his flesh to is when he got to that point, then. Uh-huh. he can now begin to do what man is meant to do in the body. Do you get that? Are you getting me? Yes, sir. It's by virtue of moving his, his body to that point. Right? That is why he began to do, he, began, he could now begin to enter that school of everlasting life, which he entered into. In other words, that, that realm is meant to be, is, that work is meant to be done by men with a certain kind of what? Flesh. And I said it before also, I don't know if it was the first day or so, that the flesh of Jesus is the physical container that can carry everlasting life on the earth. I said, I think the word I used then was that everlasting life can't just come raw on the earth. Is that they must build a container, a vessel, an earthly vessel, that that life can 
can carry this, that life. Is actually, and the purpose of that is to veil the life. Yes, sir. To veil means to cover it, yes. to carry it. Is a is a development of a of a body. Yes. Do you believe what I'm saying? <laughs> I'm sure you'll do what I'm asking, maybe. <laughs> This is the reason why Jesus' physical body can have eternal significance. That body was not an ordinary body. It wasn't the body which he offered on the cross. Sorry, the grave could not hold the body. When the body landed there, the grave said, this type... I'm sure when, when the, you know, grave now, grave is a very, very. Imagine how grave rejoices when a new member is coming. Amen. When they are, ah, a new member has come. Maybe they, maybe they do initiation ceremony, orientation, they do their matriculation and everything and all that. Praise God. But when Jesus' body entered there, right, what happened? <laughs> Jesus was a problem. You know, it wasn't just his soul. His soul was already causing devastation in heaven. Amen. You know, you know when the woman came to look for Jesus' body? You know, they didn't come to look for the, the soul. They didn't come to look for the soul because the soul was not there. What they came for was to look for his body. Then the angel said, why do you come to look for the living among the dead? So that body was a living body. Where they put dead people, they went to put a living body there. Thank you, Jesus. So Jesus experienced rapture of body, too. Amen. There are some things that this everlasting gospel should begin to take to do something. And the more I'm, I'm now coming to understanding this thing, I'm becoming more afraid. You mean I can't just do anything with my body? You know, there's a way we felt that this body is just the dust, the dust is going back to the dust and all that. So it has no, like, you feel like it has no significance here. You know, it's just, it's just a house. No, this is not, this is not my house I'm living in. You feel you can abuse it anyhow. You can't because. It's true that, that it's supposed to, it came from the dust. Praise the Lord. But, amen. 
Now, you can say, okay, if I die, it will go back to the dust. I agree. I won't agree with you, of course. You die, but it will go back to the dust. But when it's time for, to res- for resurrection, when the, when the dust, you look at the, the, the dust, every particle of dust that is your body, they will find themselves and come together back and stand up. Them and then be changed. <laughs> it's not something that will appear. You see, when you say your eternal body, it's not something that they will appear from. That will appear from thin air. No, is this is this same body? It's just that by God's grace, those of us who will move into the, the, the into heavens and then move into the world to come, it will just be changed. They will change it. They will change it, make it instead of earthly, they can make it a heavenly one, a heavenly body. But it's not even everybody's body who will become a heavenly body. There are guys whose body will still be earthly. So some of us, your body will last a long time. <laughs> but maybe, amen, may your idea about body change in Jesus' name. So, Praise the Lord. So I'm not beginning to see the importance. Ah, so this body has a role. So what I'm just trying to tell you is that don't know that your body has a part to play. That's why Satan wants to do everything against the body. He's right now it's like he's warring against the body. Because they are coming into this point where body becomes useful. Ah, so one day Christians wake up one day, hey, so this body is useful. Then men begin to dust their body, man. This body, man, we got things to do with this thing. <laughs> And Satan is smelling that season, so he's beginning to abuse. But let men turn their bodies into all kinds of sinning against your house. You know, that's a bad sin. Don't sin against the house that God has given you. That's why things like fornication, adultery, fornication, adultery, those are bad things, right? Jesus he said, every sin which a man committed, you're committing outside of your body. But you see the sin of adultery, fornication, you are sinning against. Now, if body is insignificant, why would there be a class of sin and then separate it from the others? Now, this one is special. Don't be sinning against your body because that body has a, a purpose God wants to use. They actually call the body the temple of the Holy Spirit. The temple of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So, <laughs> praise God. Now, if you, if you have, to, have to tell me, what was, the, what was the quality, the main quality of Jesus' body that when he got to this state where he can now begin to use it to do the works of God? Or he began, to, he began to use it to do everlasting, use to execute the life, everlasting life on the earth. What was the main quality of Jesus' body at that point? 
is the, the main quality of Jesus' body was, I believe it was, that the body had gained, Father Lord, I need utterance. I need, I need words. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. The 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 body the body is a the body is an anchor of natural strength. The body is an is like is, 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 is the word anchor. The body is a stronghold of natural natural strength. Natural strength doesn't just mean physical strength. Okay? Natural strength doesn't just mean physical strength. Right? There's natural strength that is not physical. It could be mental. It could be psychological. It could be emotional. It could be those are all soul, right? Those are strength uh, qualities of the soul. Right? There are different strength, but an emotional strength could be natural. A mental strength can be natural. There are also natural strengths. Praise God. But then, but the body is actually the stronghold of what? Of natural strength. There's something about the body that is a stronghold of strength. That sometimes by exercising the body, the mind can become stronger. By exercising the body, the, the emotion can become, even how you feel, you become stronger. How many times have I've read, I've heard of stories of somebody who was very timid and everything, emotionally frail, emotionally fragile and all that. And then all of a sudden, they began to build their body, working out, working out through exercise. Like you see sports, that's one of the main reasons for sports, developmentally, for a child. Like a child's physical activity has more in development of their mental health than the actual body that's been exercised. A child that is not physical, that's not being developed, that's not doing enough physical activity will be mentally frail. Because the, the body is the stronghold of strength. It's like a... Uh, are you getting what I'm saying? It's hard for you to be strong in your mind when your body is weak. It's very, very hard. It's something about that thing. Yeah, the body is deep, oh.
Praise the Lord. So, so the body, that's why the Bible says the bodily exercise profited little. It doesn't say it profited nothing. It says little. There seems there's some little profit that one can get from bodily exercise. You exercise the body. Praise God. So the body is a is like a stronghold of of natural what. That's why sometimes if God wants to weaken a man like like Jacob, it was actually Jacob's soul God wanted to weaken. Look, look man, you are too strong. Ah, you are too strong. Do you think it's just physical strength? Muscles used to hold an angel down. You think it's muscle? No. The, 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 the power, the strength that was holding that angel was from within his soul. So there was something about within him that, but in order to, the, the angel couldn't just blow a breeze, be weak now. It won't work. He had to touch the stronghold of his strength that they, as they put his hand in his side, his thigh, and broke it. That affected him. inwardly. Those are, those are scriptural signs to tell you about certain things. Praise God. Question for you. Read the epistle. Someone is preaching the gospel. Right? But to discourage them, Satan will make them sick in their body. After a while, he won't war. He'll be warring. When he can't war against the utterance, he can't war against the spirit, he will now begin to go to their body to, to make them what? To impart some weakness. When Paul was exalted beyond measure by the abundance of revelation, he said, the there was a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan. It was something that had to do with his, his own flesh. I don't know exactly what it was. There are different ways to interpret that thing, but I'm just, I'm just giving you different scriptures. You make up your mind whether in all these scriptures I've said, whether I'm making the point across to you. <laughs> Say body. As soon as I saw him, I fell at my, on my feet as dead. All right? It means something that power. It's just power. Whew, the experience that it first hit his soul. Right? What he saw must have done something on the inside of him that moved into his body. His legs were weak and he fell down. Have you ever... Have you ever someone, someone that they say someone heard about a news and then the, their leg could not carry them, they had to sit. 
I'm just trying to show you examples of certain things. Why does someone fall under the power? For example, the spirit means that there's something the spirit can touch. The spirit can, a lot of times when someone falls under the power, a lot of times, it's not a violent thing where the Holy Ghost takes you and eats you on the ground. It's not that. That's not what makes people fall under the power, right? It's what happens is that the, the, the soul is overwhelmed by the, 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 the anointing. When the soul is overwhelmed by the anointing, the body can give way in the same way. I'm just using all different ways to show you that there's, that there's something uh, that there's something there that the body is more than what so so that so the body is a is a stronghold of what strength uh, so now Jesus what made Jesus' body? What made Jesus' body pure was that Jesus' body, Jesus had a body that can be driven by spiritual strength. That is the, that's what makes a body pure to God. That is what makes a body now, we spoke about, Jesus spoke about the acceptable year of the Lord. Am I correct? The acceptable year of the Lord. That was when, during that season, it was the season of, an, of acceptation. That's when he was to begin everlasting works. Am I correct? I mean, God accepted him, but the acceptance, it was poured and later made us know that there's something called the acceptance of bodies. In Romans chapter 12. Right, I beseech you therefore, brethren, Brethren, right? That was a, 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 a beseeching brethren, not anyhow people. By the mercies of God, that you present your bodies. What kind of sacrifice? Holy. And then what? Acceptable. On, which is your reasonable service. You present your bodies. You must pre- so if your body is not being presented, when you, so the point of where a soul can begin everlasting works, they must have presented an, a, their body a living sacrifice. That was what that body of Jesus was. That body of Jesus that was walking around. And then at that season, it was a living sacrifice. That body had been presented to who? Unto God. Unto God. Unto God. Unto God. So, the main purpose of the water is for the presentation of the body to God.
to present the body to, to, to God. A living what? A living, a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. Shall be in you a well, a well that's springing on to everlasting life. Now, it's very, very clear. At that time, Jesus could not give that woman necessarily maybe to partake of the blood of, of his life. Right? But he could give her a deposit of, the, of, a, of water. He can give her a deposit of water. A deposit of water that if she can handle that water well, after a while, that water will now develop and be in her springing up. Now, what's the difference between before it sprang and after it has sprung? An exchange of strength. One, one has an input of a natural, a natural input. But for the one that springs to everlasting life, it's going to a point where what happens? There is no longer what a natural input of strength in there. Jesus brought the conversation of water because of the woman's present sorrow. When Jesus appeared, what was she talking to him about? You are a kind of a, a, a body. I'm a kind of a body. You are a Jew body. I'm a Samaritan body. And he was talking about Jew and Samaritan around <laughs> that place. That what do we have to do with? Let's go and read that place back again. Praise God. And there cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said unto, unto her, give me a drink. And his disciples were gone away to the city to buy meat. And then said the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, ask a drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. And Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knowest the gift of God, and who it is that saith unto thee, Give me to drink, then thou wouldst have asked of him, and he would have then what? Given thee living water. And the woman said unto him, Thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? Said, Are thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the, the well, and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle? And then Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him, shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a what? A well of water springing up into... Then the woman said unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. And Jesus said unto her, Go call thy husband and come thither. Hither. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband. For thou hast five husbands, 
And he whom thou now hast is not thy husband, in that seest thou truly. The woman said unto him, Sir, I perceive thou art a prophet. And our fathers worshipped in the mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship ye not, not what, but we know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in what? Spirit. And then the woman said unto him, I know that the Messiah is coming, which is called Christ. When he is coming, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said unto her, I, I that speak unto thee, I am he. Praise the Lord. Now, but he said unto them, I have meat to eat that ye know not of. And therefore said the disciples one to another, Had any man brought him out to eat? And Jesus said unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then come the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. And he that reapeth receiveth wages and gathereth fruit unto eternal life. Praise God. That both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. And herein is that saying true, that one soweth and another reapeth. I sent you to reap that whereon ye bestowed no labor. Other men labored, and ye are entered into their labor. And then many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the sin of the woman which testified. And he told me all that I ever did. Praise the Lord. Verse 41, he said, And many more believed because of his own word. Praise the Lord. Amen. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Now, now this, you see this whole conversation that Jesus was having with the woman. Was Jesus was, was trying to pull the woman out of something into something else. He was trying to, he was trying to, he was trying to remove a veil that she had over her. The veil that was manifest here was the veil of the difference between the Samaritans and the Jews. And we know that the difference between the Samaritan and the Jews wasn't a difference in their soul. It was a difference in their flesh, a difference in their what? In their body. And then Jesus now told the woman that you missed it, that there will be a time when neither in this mountain or any mountain Thing anywhere will any man worship, but they that worship the Father will begin to then worship Him where in spirit and then and in truth. Praise God. Now it's very clear that the the purpose of the water that Jesus is giving is actually is is for is a water for worship. Actually, is actually water for the accurate worship of God. Praise the Lord. 
is a water for what? For the accurate worship of God. So now, and of course, the worship of God. Now, he was talking about worshiping the Father, right? It's a particular kind of worship. It was a high thing that Jesus was speaking to her. So, Jesus wasn't necessarily, te- Jesus wasn't teaching everlasting life here. Jesus was just teaching up that I have water. I will just give you some water. But that water, the, the level I'm giving you the water is not an everlasting life. But I'm just telling you about the, the destination of this water. If you allow this water to, to grow, which at its, 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 in its process, it will be collecting your strength. Your strength will be dying. Right? And another strength will be what? Will be. And this is the same process for every single man. Whether you are a Jew, whether you are a Samaritan, it doesn't matter what kind of a man you are. Right. The purpose of, of Jesus' water is to cause there to be a decrease in your own strength. Because the Bible says, by strength shall no man prevail. By your strength, you will not prevail. When it comes to, to God, to actually, no, to, to prevail in God is, is actually prevailing in worship. That's when you say someone has prevailed. It's actually, it's the prevailing in God is the acceptance of, of, of worship. When God accepts you, God, you can do a worship that can make God accept that you have prevailed. So it's not easy. There's a standard for, to make men be, that, to offer up that acceptable word, worship. Amen now. That's so that, that worship has, cannot be done outside the body that one of the main purpose, which is your reasonable service, reasonable, that you present your bodies, right, as what? A living, a living sacrifice. Now, one of the key import of this, this, this new and living way, one of the key import of this, of this curriculum of entrance is that at this point, the doctrine of the salvation that will come to the body must be well understood. Yes. That thing must be well understood. It's a huge part of this doctrine. The doctrine of the salvation of what? Must be well understood. Initially, when you are building up Christ, even though there is, even though Christ should be impacting your body, but it's not very, very obvious. In other words, you don't focus too much on that thing. Right? Because who, Christ is the man who should present the body. Right? It's the Christ that actually, because Christ is the one who rises up and says, okay, I want, what do we need to do to make sacrifice unto God? Are you, are you getting me? So, Anybody who is not a Christ cannot present their bodies right unto God. It takes power to present your body. When you see a man that can present his body to God, it takes a lot of power to do that. Praise the Lord. 
Amen. Amen. Ah. Praise God. So when to say the veil, that is to say his flesh. Right? Are they telling you that when you go to heaven that you see they peeled off Jesus' flesh and hang it somewhere? <laughs> or it's just simple, right? That when it's a veil, it was an, a temple, and later we saw in Hebrew, they're talking of the pattern. It's a pattern of heavenly things, right? So what it means is that that point is where Jesus is, is where he this word, he offered his, his body, where he pushed his body to. Well, yes. He pushed his body to that point. Right. Now, when the body gets there, right, so it's very clear that the water, this water, not just all the other waters we know about, like the water for interest to the kingdom, no. I'm talking about this particular water, which is the water of the sun. That's the particular water I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. That the ministry of the water is to actually brings you to the veil. Right, the blood transcends the veil. That's the ministry of the blood. The 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 blood transcends the veil. Are you getting me? Praise the Lord. By God's grace, we'll see more of the ministry of the blood. the Lord. Are we, are we blessed today? Yes. Father, we thank you. you, Jesus. Oh, we give you praise. Thank you. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you. Open it up more. Impart, Lord. Let, let it be your 
the accurate understanding which you want us to have. May it be that which comes out tonight. Flood our hearts with this with this understanding, the, the real meaning of it. The essence, Lord, of this doctrine, Father, this doctrine of entrance. Help us, Father. Shamanakai lavo sota. Parios repatalegarontos kokotano shihelon perskos. Pal il felcona. Parabos susto. Paranososto. Tamba ta 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 mira kapa pa 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 rukori kapa pa pa sosoto peri kapa pa 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 tuskori kamara nama sosoto poron shoporogoni kai lusa uzis karios Christio cross the Christa karis the Christosos getem shubiot amprofon aprofon shaprofon shaprifisos kon 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 kal kon shal patan pala pata pata mataskos. O Christus and Boreta Fios, Ecrisopa, Epriscios, Ecriso, Prakisios, Caramasum, Pesciotopona, Shepetono Potopano, Pesios, Fristis, Frances, Erenoski, Ecrius, Ecrimison, Ecrimsoski, Shobronota, Fadis, Fadris, Fadris, Fadris. Faranahiski, Faranahiski, Faranahiski. Oh, Faranamashkiskos, Parata pros etapalot, epatapalot, epatapalot. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, Father, thank you. You will help us, Lord. You will bless us, Lord. Thank you, Father. May we go home and prosper with this Amen. understanding. Amen. Thank you. Whatever part of this light is not perfect, let your flood light come and perfect it. We are, we are still trusting on you to perfect our understanding. Thank you, our Father. We give all the praise to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. between the cherubim shine forth. You dwells between the cherubim shine forth. You dwells between the cherubim shine forth.